0: there, and welcome to In My Words, Jumo's podcast series that brings the experiences of real patients directly to you. At Jumo, we provide resources for children and families to understand, manage, and own their health. Sign up for free at JumoHealth.com.
1: Hello everybody, this is Christy and we're back in Melbourne, Australia for another In My Words episode on multiple sclerosis. In our last episode, we met Adriana, who shared with us the story of her diagnosis of MS. Today, Adriana will continue to share her story with us, specifically about how MS has impacted her life. We'll also be speaking again with MS nurse Belinda Bardsley and neurologist Dr. Mike Boggold who will talk about the impact of MS on patients from the healthcare professional perspective. MS can affect many parts of the body and does so in an unpredictable way. Although symptoms like fatigue and numbness are common, if you have MS, your set of symptoms will be uniquely your own. In this way, each person's experience with MS will be different. Adriana, could you share with us what symptoms you currently experience and how these have impacted your life?
2: So the MS symptoms that I have um, are mainly sensation-based. So I have numbness and tingling in both of my hands, both of my feet at varying levels of numbness and tingling. I also have fatigue, which it's a lot more manageable now than, say, when I was first diagnosed. They're my main symptoms, my main physical symptoms. So those ones are permanent. So the numbness and tingling in my hands and feet um, I've had since I was diagnosed and they haven't lessened or gone away at all. So they're permanent. I do get numbness and tingling in my shoulder, in my thighs when I walk. And if I'm having a quite a big day, just say, sometimes I feel sensations in different parts of my bodies, which go away. So. The rule of thumb for me is if it lasts for more than 24 hours and it's constant, that's cause for concern and that's when I make an appointment to see my doctor. Anything that's comes and goes, I know that it's just a, the sensation that my the lesion where the lesion is is throwing out. So unless it stays for more than 24 hours and I'm just like, well that's it's good that it's gone, it may come back, and we just move on from there. In the beginning, I found it quite difficult having the numbness um, and tingling in my hands. The only way I can describe it, it feels like I'm wearing a really thick pair of gloves, like snow gloves, so I can kind of feel pressure, but the sensation is lost, so the sensation of touch isn't what it used to be. I didn't know what things felt like anymore, so this is a weird example, but feeling carpet. Carpet feels different to glass, feels different to a bench top, feels different to you know, things with textures and things like that, I no longer could work out those sensations or those feelings. holding things became difficult in the beginning because not having that that sensation anymore, you don't know how hard or soft you're holding things. So I did break a lot of glassware and plates and things like that in the day. Because sometimes I just break it in my hands because I didn't know I was holding it that tightly. Hot and cold water another difficult thing to touch when you've lost a bit of sensation in your hands um so you'd have to be quite careful and it sounds funny but cold water is actually worse than hot water because with hot water you see steam with cold water you don't realize how cold it is and say ice and freezing cold water actually feels like it's burning my hands that's what it feels like obviously hot water is worse but quite quickly you learn to look out for those signs now my, even though my hands still feel exactly the same as what they did, I have learnt to go about my everyday life and day-to-day with those sensations, so my body's learnt or my mind's relearned things. So it's more just about pressure and things like that. I guess my biggest concerns before I had kids was I thought that I'd be missing out on things like feeling their skin. and. Um, you know, testing temperatures of bottles and now that I'm a mum, I've learnt that you don't use your, your hands, you use the back of your elbow or the back of your skin to feel things. So, and, you know, there's other ways to feel their skin, like with my little cheek and my, my cheek on their little cheek. So, yeah, I've, I, I did have to relearn some things, but I've just moved forward with that.
1: What about your lifestyle? Has it changed since being diagnosed with MS?
2: So I think the priorities in my life changed. That's the big thing. Again, work was a big priority. Now work is quite low on the scale. I still like to work though. I have my own business. For me, it's more about keeping my mind active and um, that's another. That's one of the tools to my health and well-being. But being a full-time worker was just not something that was going to fit in my life anymore, especially from the stress um, aspect of it so I now put a lot of effort into things that make me feel good or impact positively on my life and I don't put too much energy in things that make me stressed or feel unhappy and not good about myself so that's I'm very strict on things like that now in my life as soon as something's not doing well for me in my life then I change it so having MS yes it impacted badly on some things but it's actually opened my eyes to other things i like to focus on those positive things because if i live in the world of the negative things i'll never be able to move forward and it gets really easy to do that to live in the negative world of things you've just got to let go of that and go well you did have a great life before this or your life was whatever it was i'm going to make it better now so having MS impacted my life to be something different and big. one of the biggest things for me was I always wanted to help people my whole life. I was always, that was in my nature but I just never had those opportunities or things got in the way like school and work and now this has changed my life so I went through all the bad things with MS but now I've taken a few positives. I'm able to help people and makes me feel good about myself. And that's helped me a lot with my diagnosis. So there has been some really good things that have come out of my bad diagnosis. My biggest challenge with MS was probably the fear of having MS. I guess that really crippled me. Not the disease itself, but the fear of having it and what was going to happen to me. That was probably the biggest challenge for me to overcome. You know, having the fear of not being a well person or Having days where I feel so good, but then thinking, will I always be like this? Sometimes i just be not well just because I had those thoughts. So sometimes you put those things in your mind and you're like, well, I'm gonna be sick, so I may as well be sick now. Why try? A lot of the reasons why I couldn't overcome things was because I was just so fearful of my future. So I just accepted my fate, the fate that I made up myself because that wasn't what was gonna happen to me. Yeah, the fear crippled me, more so than the disease. I just assumed that I was going to have every single symptom that one or a hundred people may have had with MS. That was going to be me. I was going to be the that walking MS time bomb. So I didn't want to plan my future because I was like, well, what's the point because I don't have a life? And then slowly, slowly... You know, being, becoming more educated, having those people around me who had that knowledge, the family, my husband, those fears, are, you know, you knock them down one by one. And now, you know, I do have days where I do worry about my future, but it'll be just a small uh, just a small thing that I think, it's just a thought, a fleeting thought. And then I'm like, well, you know what? Let's just deal with that when the time comes. It's not that I put it on the back burner or I've ignored it, but studies show there's a lot of people that I know where, you know, they may be fine for 30, 40 years or I may have relapsed in another few years or I may relapse next week but it may not be that bad or, you know, let's deal with it when the time comes. There's no point worrying about spilt milk. I kind of just have that attitude. And I know some people probably don't respond well with that because they're like, well, you know, I'm sick and this did happen to me. But that's just how I am because... I don't know how else to live. I don't want to live in fear anymore.
1: Thank you, Adriana, for being so open with how MS has impacted your life. Although the impact of MS on someone's life will be different for each person living with MS, some symptoms of the disease are more common and some can have a larger impact on patients than others. Let's hear what Dr Boggold and Belinda have to say about how MS can affect a person's life
3: onset of MS is typically at around the age of 30, and for many patients that's clearly a critical point in their career, in their family planning, and therefore the disease, given that this is a lifelong condition that we cannot cure, has the potential to impact them in many different ways. Numerous studies have shown that there's a high risk of patients becoming unemployed after a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, and again that is, it has enormous implications for them, their family, and indeed for society. Uh, Similarly, considerations around childbearing in the female population, of whom three-quarters of our patients are female. So, as a disorder, though it may be relatively infrequent, it has, because of its lifelong duration and the age of onset, enormous potential to affect the lives of both patients and their families. MS can clearly cause a wide variety of symptoms from visual, motor, sensory, cognitive, bladder and bowel. However, fortunately, most of our patients will experience one or two of these rather than the whole extent of those symptoms. There is something of a pattern over time that patients may experience more in the way of visual symptoms early in the disease, and yet other symptoms such as motor difficulties or bladder and bowel problems are often associated with more long-standing disease. The most common symptom is in fact fatigue, which obviously is relatively nonspecific, and then probably visual problems early on, balance, motor and sensory symptoms. But again, for an individual patient, there will probably be two or three symptoms that are the common theme of their illness, and they will come to recognise changes in those symptoms, whether they represent relapse or the fluctuations that we often see in individual patients. Fatigue is such a common symptom, both in people without MS, but obviously more commonly in people with MS. And MS fatigue does have some unique characteristics but inevitably there are a number of factors involved that can be diet sleep pattern lack of exercise stresses depression when someone has persistent fatigue you have to carefully look through all of those factors to try and identify the things that you can change can you improve the exercise regime can you improve their sleep pattern can you look at their work environment their working hours make the adjustments that hopefully will make the fatigue less impactful. We don't have any good drug treatments for fatigue, so we have to look at the other external factors that we can change. But there often are things that one can do to improve things, and we should always be thinking of the -the out-of-the-box issues. Do they have sleep apnea? Is there some other contributor? Is it a medication that they're taking? Can we treat mood disturbance? There are often things that we can do.
1: Are there mental health implications associated with MS, like depression?
3: So 25% of the normal population will go through periods of depression. For patients with MS, that figure may be as high as 50% or higher. And it's imperative, therefore, that we recognize that problem, identify it, and offer treatment where it's appropriate. That might be psychological treatment or it might be drug treatment, because depression in particular has the potential to escalate problems with cognition and fatigue and untreated can clearly adversely affect someone's well-being.
1: Belinda, do you have anything to add on the impact of MS symptoms? People will be very
4: impacted by the symptoms, depending on what what the symptoms are, really. But I think think all symptoms, all all patients with MS will be impacted by fatigue at some point. And I think the other thing that people with MS become very aware of is the impact of heat, the effect of heat on their MS. Um, So there's... A phenomenon called the UTOFs phenomenon which is where if the patient's core body temperature rises even slightly even by a degree uh, and that can be because they've exercised or because it's a hot day or because they've just hopped out of a really hot bath or a hot spa or because they're fighting off a bug and they have a, a mild fever then all of their symptoms may resurface and it might be symptoms from a couple of years ago their their first relapse might resurface and temporarily they'll feel all of those symptoms again and it can be quite marked Uh, so they're dealing with those sorts of things so they're having to make uh, adjustments or accommodations for the fact that heat can affect them they're having to adjust for fatigue they're having to be aware that if they have you know weakness in their in their ankle or their foot then they might need to be you know, taking a a walking stick with them when they're going out. It will very much depend on what their symptoms were in the first place. But I usually say to newly diagnosed patients that I have a waiting room full of patients that most of the time you wouldn't know even had anything wrong with them. So the majority of our patients on therapy are doing incredibly well and, and really don't have anything much to show for it. But then again, there's the flip side of that is, you know, they're often parking in a disabled car park and getting, you know, strange looks from people to say, well, why do you need that car park? So, you know, that that can be good and bad because there's potentially a loss, lack of understanding from the general population about, well, what's wrong with you? What, you know, why on earth do you need that disabled car park or what's wrong with you? Why can't you, Um, why do you need a nap this afternoon or why can't you come out tonight? so that can be good and bad that it can be a slightly hidden hidden disease in some respects collision is a really important symptom of ms that is another very much a hidden symptom of MS and, and sometimes it can be actually a presenting symptom of MS that people just feel that they're not something's not right they're not remembering things or they're no longer able to really organize themselves properly and they're needing to make you know very clear-cut lists so that they can manage their usual lives or they're struggling at work and it's a really that can be a very difficult thing for them to manage and we need to remember that MS is diagnosed between usually the ages of 20 and 40. So this is happening to people when they're, you know, they're studying, they're, you know, they're, they're finishing off school or they're studying at university or they're building their careers or they're having a family or they're, you know, they're, they're establishing themselves in the workplace, really, really getting underway in their careers or they're, you know, managing companies or, you know, this is a very important time of their life. They're wanting to be their most productive. And for them to be impacted by cognitive difficulties is just incredibly difficult for them and, and it's, um, it's it's heartbreaking when you see people who are struggling with their cognition and it's deeply, deeply unsettling for them going through it. It's, it's really crushing, it's a crushing sort of symptom of MS that is very, very difficult to manage and it's it's really important that they sort of try and try and identify that early on and then try and do a bit of brain training to try and preserve that and also getting on a good medication early on is another important way of trying to maintain that brain function for the long term.
3: The consultations you have with the MS nurse and your neurologist are the opportunity to discuss the symptoms that may have a benign or simple explanation but equally may be something that we can treat. We can't treat all of the symptoms associated with MS but there are certainly good treatment strategies for many of the problems that the disease causes over time.
1: Great, thank you so much Belinda and Dr Bogard. I'd now like to talk about methods to treat these symptoms. If symptoms do interfere with day-to-day life, fortunately there are strategies available to help patients manage many of them. As we heard, treatment can help prevent some from developing in the first place. Adriana, can you tell our listeners how you manage your MS symptoms?
2: Medically wise, I I have regular treatments. And alongside that, I do a holistic approach as well. So I get acupuncture regularly, and massage. I also put a lot of effort into my health and well-being. I try to live a very healthy lifestyle, have a balanced diet. I haven't cut out certain food groups and things like that because I really enjoy eating. And for me, that's a big thing. Unless someone specifically said, do not eat this at all because it will make you this much better for me food's a massive thing for me and i will continue to eat you know in moderation everything and i exercise quite regularly and if that's just a walk or like a brisk walk or a light walk or just some form of physical exercise then that's like major for me and some days if that's all i have energy for that's all i'll do is just a 20 minute walk Um, At the moment, I go to the gym with the kids. I take the kids to mums and bubs class twice a week, and then I try and walk in between those days. And yeah, it's not like a full on gym routine or anything, but I like to stay active. Other things that I've done that I think are beneficial to my health is no stress. It's easy to say, but over years you can put things in place to have a stress-free life where you can. Obviously, things do stress you out, but I try not to get too bogged down by those things that I can control. I've learned to let go of a lot of stuff. So those things, so there's my medical aspect, the natural aspect, and then my own things that I find a part of my health, overall health routine.
1: Living with MS means watching out for new or worsening symptoms, which can indicate a relapse a phase of the disease when symptoms flare up. Deciding when to seek medical help when symptoms worsen or a new symptom appears is one of the challenges people with MS face.
3: In MS, a relapse is the neurological symptoms that reflect new inflammation within the nervous system, either in the spinal cord or the brain. That can be new symptoms where it's a new area of inflammation in an area of the brain or spine that hasn't been affected before or it can be a recrudescence or reappearance of symptoms in a lesion that's reactivated. Symptoms generally come on gradually over a period of days, sometimes to weeks and untreated a relapse on average will last eight to 10 weeks. People with MS will realise that their symptoms will often fluctuate and sometimes there is a relatively benign explanation for that, for example changes in temperature or intercurrent illness, a cough or a cold or a flu will temporarily worsen symptoms and that technically could seem like a relapse but really is just the iceberg phenomenon, you're seeing more of the iceberg above the water when you're not as well. Whereas a true relapse usually reflected by either new symptoms that haven't been experienced previously or a clear-cut worsening of symptoms that patients have already experienced. In essence, if there's any uncertainty, if a patient's concerned that they may be experiencing a relapse, I would always encourage them to ask rather than not to ask. So this is the importance of having easy access to your clinical team, be that the neurologist or probably more often the MS nurse specialist working with that neurologist. I would always say that on both sides, it should just be about communication.
2: Adriana, have you ever experienced a relapse? A year after my diagnosis, so a year on the medication that I was on, I experienced a relapse. So I started to get numbness and tingling down both of my arms. And that lasted for a few days. Um, So it was something that contacted my doctor and we did some more tests. Um, within a few days worked out that yes I did have a relapse and I had a new lesion so from there we just made a new plan and I did have infusion treatment at the time to help stabilize that new lesion or that that relapse and then we thought of a plan we put in a new plan in place for my future yeah and since then I've been relapse free I should say Um, no new symptoms I do have the odd different sensations and things like that, but nothing that's being too cause for concern.
1: Access to healthcare support for patients with MS is essential for their well-being. Let's talk a bit about support available for patients with MS and how it can be accessed.
3: The support that's available for an individual patient with multiple sclerosis will clearly depend to a degree on where they live and under what sort of clinical team their MS is being followed. I work in a regional or rural area and many of our patients inevitably are closely aligned with their general practitioners who can be a great source of support and obviously know them and their families well. For patients in more metropolitan cities, it may well be that there's a well-developed service, MS nurses, neurologists with an interest, Uh, but I think really it's about the patient having comfort with and familiarity with the person who's going to be on the end of the phone and trusting the advice that they give. There's a range of options available and it really is what's what's the best fit for the individual patient based on where they are and indeed who they are.
4: I suppose I would make the point that they need to have a really good healthcare team around them. So I, I think the importance of having a, a really good MS nurse who is, you know, who they can approach for advice, particularly, I think people particularly find problematic is what is a new symptom, actually? And when am I having a relapse and when do I need to act on this and what what do I need to do about this? And so a point of contact is really important. So having a point of contact where you can ring and say, Belinda, I don't know what to do about this, what do you think? And we can toss it around over the phone or we can bring them in. We have a nurse-led clinic here and a number of hospitals around the country now have nurse-led clinics where usually at fairly short notice we can bring people in and have a chat to them and review them clinically. And many of the hospitals, the bigger hospitals around Australia can review patients quite quickly. Um, And obviously always we say to patients, "If if you're urgently concerned, you should see your GP or present to your nearest emergency department straight away like, that's always a standard advice we give to patients. Don't mess around. If you're urgently concerned, that's what you should do.
1: Thanks, Dr. Boggold. Thanks, Belinda. We've talked a lot about the impact of MS and the support available to patients. The last topic that we're going to cover in the episode is mental health. As Dr. Bogold called out earlier, depression is common in people with MS and it can substantially impact one's health. Adriana, could you tell us how MS has impacted your mental health and how you've coped with
2: this? Um, So with my mental health in the beginning, I already felt quite anxious and I didn't feel like myself. And when I was diagnosed with MS, some of those issues made sense to why I felt like that. I did become quite depressed in the beginning with my diagnosis and my anxiety levels just... Worsened because I'd, I'd already experienced anxiety over the years. I didn't know how to control it. I didn't want to be medicated back then. I was more, oh, I'll get over this. I can do this on my own. I'm a strong person. You know, I, I don't need to talk to anyone. Those were the things that I did for quite a few years. And it wasn't until we were trying for kids that I realized that I needed to actually work on that a bit more because I work on every other aspect of my health and lifestyle, but that was one of the things that I was too proud to do because I was like, no, I'm a strong person. So my husband and I, we talked about it and he's my biggest supporter, but for him, he was just like, you are so strong, but I'm worried that if we have kids, these feelings will just enhance with postnatal depression and things like that. That was a big concern for us. So. After those conversations I did seek out um, professional help. I spoke with my doctors and we put a mental health plan in place and I see a psychologist and I'm now on medication for um, my anxiety, which has helped a lot and for me it just was a weight lifted off my shoulders. That's all it did, took a weight off my shoulders and I'm able to process things and deal with things in a, a lot more clearer manner. And it was one of those things that I wish I took care of years ago along with my health plan for ms and my lifestyle changes because a lot of the stresses in my life i've probably created or made worse because of my anxiety and yeah i do talk to a lot of people and i have a lot of support but talking to someone who's a professional in dealing with things like that was something that i needed i just didn't know i needed it yeah For anyone who's experiencing any form of mental health challenge with their illness, or even if you're just not feeling 100%, you're gonna have bad days of feeling down and things like that. But if it's something that you really can't get on top of, don't leave it too late. Speak to your doctors or speak to somebody and put some plan in place because for me, I, I feel like I wasted so long worrying and just not being okay and hiding that that I could have been enjoying other aspects of my life while having to deal with those bad things. Whereas when they're all coupled all together, the depression, the illness, the changes in your life that you have to make, sometimes it's just really hard to do all that at once. So, you know, speak to somebody, get some help. You haven't failed yourself. I think that was, that was something that I thought, I felt like if I got help, I'd failed myself because i needed help but i get help for everything else like if i've got a toothache i get help from my dentist why wouldn't you do this for your mental health as we learned in this episode
1: ms can have a huge impact on one's life and as one adjusts to living with ms priorities may shift Adriana is a powerful example of how a supportive healthcare team and family and a positive attitude go a long way to helping one adapt to living with MS. If you have any questions or concerns about your illness, reach out to your healthcare team. Remember, MS can negatively impact your mental health and understanding that mental health is as important as any other piece of your well-being and getting help if you need it can make a huge difference to living well with MS, as it did for Adriana. We'd like to thank Adriana, MS nurse Belinda Bardsley, and neurologist Mike Boggold for speaking with us about the impact that MS has on patients. Next time on In My Words, we'll be talking about the management of MS. Stay tuned. This episode was created using excerpts from our interviews with Adriana, Belinda, and Dr. Mike Boggold. You can also watch a day in the life of Adriana in her In My Shoes video. The link to the video can also be found in the show notes. See you next time. This episode has kindly been supported by MS Australia and sponsored by Roche Pharmaceuticals Australia, material number 37562681 and prepared in May 2018.
0: Thanks for listening. Interested in hearing something special or want us to help share your story? Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. The health information contained in this podcast is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to replace discussions with a healthcare provider. In My Words is produced in New York City and distributed worldwide. In my words, a Jumo production.